0: You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 94. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. I'm your host, Max Sklar. This is episode... What episode is this already? This is episode 94. Wow. Uh, I'm really excited about today's topic, and today's topic has to do with the infinite, with infinity, and I've been thinking about this topic for many, many years. It's a mathematical topic, and (laughs) I'm excited about it, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes as a solo show uh, with my ability to explain this in the audio format, but... uh, I think it's going to go very well, and I think it's going to need uh, multiple episodes to, you know, capture this from multiple different angles. And I think ultimately I'm going to need to bring on a co-host, probably Aaron, or maybe Miriam. Miriam would be good at this, uh, to kind of keep me honest and sort of figure out, you know, how uh, how I'm doing at explaining this concept. Um, But, uh, well, I mean, look, the important thing about Infinity is that it's, There are multiple different kinds of infinities and there are multiple different things that people mean when they say infinity. So that's one thing to keep in mind about this topic. Uh, One of the things that uh, I wanted to look into was I I wrote a paper on the nature of infinity when I was 16 when I was in high school. I was like, oh, okay, I'll go back and I'll review that paper before doing the show. What is it, a few pages? I open up the file. I find the file. I open up the file. It's like, it's 25 pages. 25 pages long. So I'm like, no, I, I, uh, I don't have time to read that right now. I'll review it later. Um, maybe uh, maybe that means I can write a book. Uh, it's crazy. 25 pages. How did I write? I, never, I haven't written that much since. No, no. Some of the papers in college maybe I wrote uh, were, were longer than that. But um, yeah, wow. All right. Today's episode is sponsored by by Manning Publishing. You could use the promo code PodLocalMax19 for 40% off all the books at Manning Publishing. And get books such as Deep Learning with Structured Data and Classic Computer Science Problems in Python. So I want to talk, I want to start with like, you know, what is infinity? Is it a concept? Is it a number? It's a hotly debated topic. And I don't want to necessarily get into all of that right now, but what I do want to say is what I do care about uh, when it comes to computer science, when it comes to solving real-world problems, is that we have some symbol that represents infinity, or maybe we have multiple symbols that represent some infinite value, and so it, it can be manipulated, it has rules, and so does it actually represent something meaningful? That's the important question uh, that I want to ask. And I want to point out, of course, there are different kinds of infinity. So one of the definitions is, is it's something that is is never-ending, um, is without end, it's infinite. Uh, so you could say that it describes the numbers, specifically the counting numbers. You know, if you start with, well, I, you know, computer science, I usually start with zero. So if you start counting with zero, one, two, three, four, so on and so forth, well, that's infinite. There's no... Point where I am required to end. You could always uh, define new numbers, whether you th- think you uh, discovered them or they're pre-existing, but you could always d- define a new number as the successor to the previous number, so that is an infinite process. And, you know, mathematicians and philosophers early on were okay with the idea of potential infinity. Hey, this could go on forever and ever. I don't want to define a stopping point. But, then the question is, you know, can you actually define a, a symbol that represents that stopping point? So if you ever hear two, Two, I was going to say like two kids fighting, but this doesn't have to be two kids fighting. This could be, <laughs> this could be two adults in a boardroom, and someone says like, uh, you know, this is uh, this is true. This is what, what what we should do. And then someone else says, no, it's not. And the other one says, yes, it is. And then no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And then someone, and then you know, someone tr- just to try to win the argument says, well, yes, it is a thousand. And the other person says, no, it's not a thousand and one and now you're stuck because you know they just uh, they just increased your number so you say oh yes it is a million and they go well, yes it is a, a million and one ah now you're now you're really stuck because they've heard of a million so you try to think of a, a number they haven't heard of and then eventually someone says you know yes it is infinity and then of course the uh, the response is yes it is infinity plus 1 um <laughs> so what's going on here uh, some people say well infinity plus 1 equals infinity but again it really depends on what you're talking about. I think in the case when you see the two people fighting, uh, what they're talking about is ordinal numbers. That's yes. This whole uh, this whole fight has been formalized by mathematicians. I believe it's it it, it's, it it corresponds to what mathematicians call the ordinal numbers. And ordinal numbers are really nice because you can essentially. Uh, what they've done is you start with the counting numbers, you know, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, so on and so forth. And then they come up with a symbol. It's usually a lowercase omega. So the symbol is omega. And for those of you who don't know the Greek alphabet, I don't know the Greek alphabet. uh, The lowercase omega actually kind of looks like a, uh, a lowercase w, except, you know, our w actually is a double v, you ever been bothered by that? It's called W, but it's really double V because it's, uh, it's pointed. But no, the lowercase omega actually looks like a W. It's, it's rounded. And so they came up with this symbol called omega. And that represents a value uh, that, when compared to all the normal counting numbers, is considered greater. And so essentially, you could see this as representing uh, some kind of game where you receive a score, and you can tell whether your score is greater than the other person's score if they're both numbers. And if you get the much needed omega, then your score is uh, is beats any any score that's actually a counting number. Um, and so a lot of things can be enumerated like this. Um, you know, generally, if you want to, yeah, I don't know, come up with some heuristic in computer science and sorting things where you say, well. I'm usually going to sort by this value. Maybe I, I'm, I'm trying to sort a search, right? And I say, hey, this person searched for giraffes. I want photos of giraffes. And I have a, a machine learning algorithm that's scored a bunch of photos uh, for how giraffe-like they are. And so I'm, I'm usually going to sort by that. Um, and each of those is a number. But I also have some photos that are hand-picked by our editors as being giraffe. So maybe you want to assign those omega. So those automatically beat out all of the ones that were assigned by the AI algorithm. That's a perfectly legitimate way of doing that. And in a way, omega represents some kind of infinity. And of course, you could have omega plus one, omega plus two mathematicians. I could do a whole show on ordinal numbers. uh, But Uh, You know the game the two kids were playing? Now ah, infinity plus one, infinity plus two. Oh, yeah, infinity plus infinity, and so on and so forth. Uh, With ordinal numbers, mathematicians have played this game out um, very, very far. (laughs) And uh, the the results are crazy. It ends up getting uh, mind-bending. So that's one concept of infinity. Um, Another one is the idea of an infinite precision number. So this is interesting. If you think of a number like pi... Right, pi is three point one four one five nine, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those digits uh, never end, and so you could think, well, there's nothing preventing us from finding. Uh, maybe there are physical limitations, you know, number of atoms in the universe, amount of time we have, but there's no rule that prevents us from finding the digits of pi out to any amount that we want. Um, now. There is some philosophical question over whether anything can actually be infinite precision, or if you want, if you if you don't want to think about something infinitely small and just you know infinitely large, whether you can actually have like an infinite sequence. And you could think of well, you know, I can come up with a rule, uh, you know, where the sequence goes one zero one zero one zero, or even pi itself is a rule because uh, there's a formula for coming up with new digits of pi. Um, but can you actually consider, um, a, a an, uh, real object that has an infinite sequence of, of digits, um, or maybe think of it as a decimal, just an infinite decimal, doesn't repeat, and doesn't have any sort of pattern. Um, and most mathematicians think that, yes, you know, those exist and they are theoretical objects that we can look at, but there are some people who say, um, no, I, I don't think those, uh, I don't consider those as legitimate, um. I tend to be on the, the side of, yes, we can kind of analyze those as a theoretical concept. Um, I'm not bothered by it, but some people are. Um, and that is another concept of infinity. That's the infinite set. And as mathematicians have discovered about a little more than hundred years ago, maybe 150 years ago now that, uh, you know, there are different kinds of infinite sets. Some are countable, some are uncountable, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to get into that today. Um, and finally uh, another the the last uh item that people sometimes count as infinity uh which is uh the one i want to expand upon is you know well what about what's infinite on the number line? Like, if I have a number line from, you know, zero is over here, then one, then two, and, you know, you could have all the fractions and stuff. If I go out, is there a point at the end of it that I can consider as positive infinity? You know, whether, you know, now, if you're talking about what we call real numbers, the real number system, uh, positive infinity and negative infinity on the other side are usually are not considered part of the real number system. But could you extend the real number system to include those values? And what if you divide a number by zero? If you divide one over zero, does it become one of those values? And I want to talk about that today. Um, so first of all, why would you want to extend the number line? I think in calculus uh, a lot you think about, well, what happens if, and also uh, a lot of times in the real world when you want to try to think about what happens to a system, you think, okay, here's a, here's a parameter, here's a value. What happens if that value gets larger and larger and larger and larger without end? Um, what if it becomes as large as it possibly um, could become and then just larger than that? Um, does, does, what is the effect of that on this system? And so oftentimes you say, well, as that, val- as that value goes to positive infinity. And it sort of makes the number line compact in a way. I'm, I'm using compact as a mathematical term here where you know that sequence that, goes, uh, uh, that, that increases in magnitude over and over, uh, increases in magnitude without bound, actually has an ending point, and we call that the point of po- at positive infinity. Um, okay, so great. You add a point at positive infinity to the number line, but then there's a big question as to which way of doing it do you add? Uh, there are actually two ways of doing it that I want to cover. One is the uh, affine extended number line, and the other is the projective extended number line. So the affine uh, extended number line, what that does is that adds a point at positive infinity for something that gets positive and you know, goes goes off to, in positive numbers forever. And then, positive numbers forever, that's probably not the right term. It just gets bigger and bigger without bound. That's the right term to use. And then there's a second point that's added. That's the point at negative infinity. And that's what happens when you get to negative numbers without bound, and it just goes lower and lower without bound. Um, so, okay, uh, there are some good reasons to do that. Maybe you're analyzing a system and something gets infinitely large, something gets infinitely small, which is infinitely small is a weird term, because sometimes that means infinitely close to zero. But in this case, I mean, a very high magnitude in the negative side. Um, and it preserves the ordering. So there's no question as to which is higher, you know, Positive infinity is greater than a million, is greater than a hundred, is greater than zero, is greater than negative a million, is greater than negative infinity. So you can say, well, everything is greater than negative infinity, and positive infinity is greater than everything. So it kind of preserves the order of your system. And then there is the other way of doing it that does not preserve the order of the system, but it's still an important way of doing it. And it's called uh, the projective number line, the projective infinity. So in this case... What you do is you have a point at infinity, and you kind of consider it a- as the same as being uh, negative, but large in magnitude on the negative side, and large in ma- magnitude in the, on the positive side. So obviously, it breaks. Um, you know, it, it breaks the idea that everything is going to be greater than something else. You just have essentially this point that never occurs. It's almost like an impossible point, point. Um, and so it's it it does. It is kind of mind bending, but there are, it almost turns the number line into a giant circle. Um, and uh, note that if you divide one by uh, zero, uh, there's kind of a question as to what that should be. Usually that's left undefined in the real number system. So that way, you know, you don't really have to worry about that happening. Um, if you do it in, on computers, 1 divided by 0, sometimes you'll get an infinity, sometimes you'll get a negative infinity, sometimes you'll get an undefined. There's usually some kind of value that gets returned. Um, But what happens is, one of the reasons why that doesn't work so well with the uh, affine extension of the number line is that in the affine extension, you know, okay, if you do 1 divided by 0, well, let's say you do 1 divided by some really, really small number, Uh, well, then it blows up to positive infinity. But if you do negative one divided by some really, really small number, or you do one divided by some really, really small number on the negative side, then it blows up to negative infinity. So it's like, well, which one should I choose? And it's very unclear whether to choose positive infinity or negative infinity. But if it ends up being both the same thing, both the point at infinity, then we can just pick that, the point at infinity. So Okay, uh, how, is this, how is this useful? How do you think about this? Well, one of the ways I think about this is uh, picture a drawing or an image or, or just picture two railroad tracks. You know, uh, you're looking at, you're, you live in an infinite world, um, an infinite flat world, and even though the earth is, is round though, but locally it, it looks pretty big and infinite, standing above the railroad tracks and you're, you're standing on railroad tracks and you're looking off into the distance. And you'll see that those are two parallel lines. So the two uh, sides of the railroad tracks never actually meet. But if you look at the picture or you look ahead at the railroad track, you'll see at the horizon, those two points; those two lines actually meet at a point. And so that point in your photo, in your field of view, represents the point at infinity. And um, the reason why it's called projective, if you think about it, you're essentially projecting the image from the ground into your eyes. So imagine you draw a dotted line from your eyeball to the ground. If you're looking slightly down a little bit, you look kind of towards the ground, and you draw a dotted line, and you, uh, you know, where the dotted line reaches the ground, you'll see the two railroad tracks. And if you kind of look dead ahead You'll see the railroad tracks meet at that same point. Now, if you look up a little bit, you'll see the sky. But then imagine extending that dotted line in the other direction, where it goes down, and then it'll meet the railroad tracks again uh, behind you. So that's why it's called projective infinity, and it's actually used in you know drawing you know projections, projective drawings, and um, and you could use it to analyze images. You can use it to analyze art, all those things. Um, so actually very useful. And So when I ask, when I hear the questions, you know, is this allowed? Is one divided by zero allowed? Is uh, positive infinity, negative infinity? Is values allowed? To me, that's not really the right question to ask. The right question to ask is, can you create a set of rules and symbols that are kind of logically consistent and that can be applied to understanding a problem? And it could even be a theoretical problem, but it could also be a real problem. Um, But if you can do that, then I say, good, just so long as you define everything and, um, you know, um, make sure it, it all works out and is, is a, a reasonable model for the problem, then I see no problem with it. Um, now, okay, I want to talk a little bit about how this point at infinity problem goes away a little bit when you're talking about magnitudes and ratios. But first, I want to tell you about manning Publishing. Um, There are a lot of great books on Manning.com that you can get 40% off with the local maximum discount code PODLOCALMAX19 uh, in episode 89 – sorry, episode 87 – I spoke to Mark Ryan, who is the author of Deep Learning with Structured Data. Deep Learning with Structured Data will teach you to apply powerful deep learning analysis techniques to structured data found in the relational databases that real-world businesses depend on. So you might be able to use that in your job. Uh, There are a lot of Manning books in our Foursquare library at work, and it would make a great addition to your work library. You can learn computer science, learn technical frameworks. Just go on manning.com. Learn anywhere from basic computer science to, uh, you know, some of the latest frameworks. Let me see if I can actually go on Manning.com and see what it's suggesting to me today. Practical data science with R, J-unit in action. Basically, all the stuff that uh, you'd want to learn to get better at your job in software. So go to Manning.com, podlocalmax19 for the discount code. All right. I only care about positive numbers now. And so let's say that positive number is a ratio. It could be, you know, the ratio of two counts, or it could be, you know, the ratio of two other positive numbers. Um, but you're essentially, the sign problem goes away. There are no longer any negative numbers. Zero is the lowest possible that you can be. And then on the, on the highest you can be, on the, on, the, on the high side, there's always this point at infinity. And now the whole affine projection versus, or affine extension versus uh, projective, Uh, number line, those two distinctions go away. We're only talking about positive ratios. And it's interesting because now if you want to reject infinity, I could make a really good case that you have to reject zero as well, because oftentimes those two work analogously. So let's look at some examples. I I wish I could come up with uh, funnier examples here, but uh, I'm just going to use kind of examples that you might find in a textbook, uh, a school textbook. Um, But hey, if you have a funnier, a better example for me, go to uh, let me know localmaxradio at gmail.com. All right. So let's say you're looking at sales of vanilla and chocolate relative to each other at the ice cream cream shop. So if you have 10 vanillas and five chocolate orders, uh, that's going to mean that your observed ratio of vanilla to chocolate is two to one right? Okay, that makes sense. 10 to 5, 2 to 1, you just divide those two numbers. You can have a very high ratio, which means that more people uh, prefer vanilla, or you can have a very low ratio, close to zero, and that means that more people prefer chocolate. So now, okay, let's look at another example. Let's say people come in, you had no orders for vanilla ice cream, and you had five orders for chocolate ice cream. Your ratio is now zero, Zero vanilla's to five chocolate. That puts your ratio all the way down to zero. Well, if it makes sense to have a case where the ratio is zero, it should also make sense to have a case where with the ratio where that's flipped around. If you have five vanillas and zero chocolates, then the ratio is well five to zero. That that's an infinite ratio. Uh, there's no conclusion over. Uh, there's no confusion over what. Kind of infinity, this is. It's just the point at infinity in the, it's the infinite magnitude idea. Um, although maybe there should be a special name for this. I don't know. Infinite magnitude, infinite ratio might be a good one. Uh, but um, it, this is in, in some ways a representation of infinity. So let's put aside for now, the zero to zero ratio, because I'm going to kind of circle back to that at the end. That's a complicated one. That's the indeterminate form. And yes, that's still a problem. But let's look at this in economic terms. Let's look at this in terms of prices. Prices are ratios, believe it or not. You thought you could get away without learning ratios, but uh, prices are ratios. Uh, Prices, to me, uh, the way I think of it are the ratios of barter. So you want to know, how much one uh, product can be exchanged for another. But in this case, you want to know how many dollars will buy you one unit of a particular item. So what you want is a ratio of dollars to items. Uh, that's, that's the unit price. That's, you know, uh, so let's say one apple costs you 50 cents. That's the ratio of apples to dollars. Um, now, that's in, in economic terms, that's the marginal cost. So maybe one apple cost 50 cents. Maybe your second apple cost 50 cents. But eventually you'll buy up all the apples and the price will go up. You could move the market. Um, but as a as a marginal value, this makes sense in economic terms. It means your first apple will cost 50 cents. That's the marginal cost. All right. So now let's kind of look at the extreme examples here. Let's say that there are free apples. Someone comes along with an apple cart. They have 20 apples on the cart they say, yeah, take as many as you want. It's free. All right, so now the ratio of dollars to apples is is zero because you can have zero dollars getting you twenty apples or zero dollars even getting you one apple. Um, if you look at it the other way, the other ratio, the ratio of apples to dollars, in other words, how many apples can I get with a dollar? Uh, that ratio goes to infinity, and. It still makes sense to say that's an infinite ratio, but it's a little bit misleading because it doesn't mean that if I have a dollar in my hand that I'm actually going to get an infinite amount of apples. It just means that I don't need to eat into that dollar to get my first apple or my second apple or my 20th apple. Um, So on the margin, on the first few apples, that ratio is infinite. And then after a while, like hey, the free card of 20 apples is gone. now I'm going to have to buy it somewhere else, then the price goes up. So again, doesn't mean you ha- can get infinite apples with your dollar. it's just the unit price, which changes. but uh, you know like I said, hey prices change as you buy more of something uh, that's that's what happens. Uh, but it still has meaning. I think it's a meaningful value in that situation. The price is zero dollars per apple, and if you want to do apples that I can get for a dollar, it's it's infinite. All right. So let's say that there are no apples available now. There's an apple shortage. There's some horrible, horrible famine. Destroyed all the apple trees, and, uh, and they're all gone. All right, so... Now it's the price that becomes infinite, the number of dollars per apple. Now, obviously, you can't have an infinite amount of dollars. There are only so many dollars that uh, exist in the world. And if there were an infinite number of dollars in the world, then there wouldn't be an an economy. A dollar <laughs> wouldn't mean anything. Um, but, well, I mean, okay, I'm not <laughs> even going to go into the idea that, uh, you know, the government can print money and uh, they're um, – you know, maybe, maybe there's a potential infinity of dollars out there. But no, for any, at any given point in time, you can't have an infinite amount of dollars in the in the supply. Um, okay, so symbolic... And also, even if you had an infinite amount of dollars in supply, let's say someone... Okay, we all agree you have infinite dollars now. You're not going to get that... You're not going to get an apple because there aren't any. Um, but that infinite price, that infinite ratio of the price still represents the state of affairs where there you cannot buy an apple at any price. And that is a state of affairs for which we want a symbol, we want a, a piece of, of, of data to represent that state. And so that's where the infinite ratio can come in. If you look at it the other way, let's flip it around now. In this case, we want the ratio of apples to dollars. Well, uh, the ratio of apples to dollars is zero because even if you have lots and lots of dollars, you're still going to have zero apples, and so you could think of it that way as well. So, uh, and and that way actually makes a lot more you know practical sense in, in that. Okay, I have a hundred dollars, and I'm not going to be able to get any apples for it. So, therefore, I can do zero over a hundred. That's uh, that's zero, and if I flip it around, that's that's the infinite. All right. So, note that in both these cases, both the apples and the vanilla chocolate. The infinite ratio uh, corresponds to an actual situation in life that we might want to consider. It's not just a theoretical concept. And so even if you might have trouble with infinity in some areas, I would argue that in the ratio sense, you should not have trouble uh, with infinity that much as a philosophical construct. Okay. Now, we talk about these ratios. I want to briefly talk about the relationship of these ratios to probabilities. Can we talk about probabilities a lot on the show? All of these ratios can actually be turned into probabilities, which are between 0 and 1. So let's take the ice cream example. Instead of asking, what's the ratio of vanilla to chocolate? Instead, let's ask, what's the probability that a random ice cream buyer, and assume that you know vanilla and chocolate are the two options. I'm sorry, I like mint chocolate chip. That'd be my choice. I'm not going to get it. Vanilla and chocolate are the only two options. The probability that an ice cream buyer gets vanilla is somewhere between zero and one. And there's actually a simple formula that turns that ratio, that the ratio of vanilla and chocolate into the probability that they'll buy vanilla. And so if the ratio is r, then the probability is r over r plus one. So you could see how if r is a positive number, then r over r plus one is greater than r. So r over r plus one is going to end up being some number between zero and one. And in this case, If the ratio ends up being infinite, uh, that is the same as saying that the probability of buying vanilla is exactly equal to one. And then if we say that the ratio is zero, that is the same as saying that the probability of buying vanilla is exactly equal to zero. So if you don't have a problem with having a probability of zero, and you don't have a problem with having a probability of one, then analogously... You can't really have a problem with having a ratio of zero or a ratio of positive infinity because uh, a ratio of positive infinity is the same as probability of one. Now, sometimes we, instead of calling it a ratio, we call it the odds in probability theory. So odds are like the the ratio of something happening divided by something uh, you know not happening. Uh, but I'm just going to call it the ratio here. But you could think of it as the odds. So you might say, well... I never want to consider the fact that my customers are homogeneous. They're probably not all going to want to uh, order vanilla, or they're probably not all going to want to, uh, to order chocolate, right? Well, there's always a possibility that someone is going to prefer vanilla. That's true. You never want to consider it zero. Uh, well, that's fine. let the probability of zero for vanilla be a theoretical state where everybody in the world wants vanilla and not something that you actually think will happen. But it's a possibility that should be expressible in our number system, for goodness sake. And even in your model, you might say, well, assuming that uh, all of our customers come in and order vanilla, well, what does that mean for our business? Well, that's a very reasonable question to ask. So uh, especially if you're trying to get like the bounds on on what's going to happen. So this doesn't eliminate zero ratios or infinite ratios, Uh, both are legitimate, really what it does is correspond to the idea that you should never put your personal probability, we're talking about probability as a belief system now, or probability as a belief now, subjective probability, you should never assign zero probability to an event. That's the idea that we're thinking of. You shouldn't put zero probability on vanilla. You shouldn't put zero probability on chocolate, which analogously means you shouldn't put you know, infinite ratios in either one, or at least if you do, you're creating a suboptimal probabilistic belief system. And we talked about this in episode 78, Bayesian Thinking. If you assume that the probability of something is precisely zero, then any amount of evidence you gather for that thing won't change your mind. But so long as you consider the possibility of something, and there are limits to this, uh, as long as you consider something a remote possibility, Then there's that von Mises-Bernstein theorem, and this doesn't always apply, but it at least applies to the ice cream case. Then eventually, you'll converge to the right answer if you gather enough data and you use Bayesian inference. Okay, so coming back to the infinite ratio, yes, you might not want to declare that you have an infinite ratio, especially when it comes to that sparse sales data when selling ice cream. But those are still values that you want to keep around as possibilities or to simplify your model from time to time. And that's the biggest one because simplifying your model from time to time is something you have to do. Everybody has to see some things in black and white and not shades of gray. Otherwise, your heads will explode. You'll have uh, an intractable model in your brain. And I'm talking about both your mental model and your, um, you know, and your statistical model. But for most people, in most situations, it's really just a mental model. You want to think, well, what happens if everyone wants chocolate? What happens if the price is infinite, i.e., just not available at all? Um, these are totally reasonable questions to ask when you're like, okay, what's going to happen, and how do I plan for it? So again, uh, this is a, a value that has real meaning, um, and that's the point that I want to drive home with this. So. If you have a way of thinking about this topic that, um, that you want to bring to my attention, uh, if you have a different perspective on this topic, I'd like to hear it, localmaxradio at gmail.com. Uh, so one thing that I want to uh, conclude with is what do you do in the indeterminate case? What do you do if you have zero customers? You have no chocolates, you have no vanillas, and then the ratio uh, becomes zero to zero, Um, So now you're stuck because you don't know the ratio between the two. Um, And I found the solution to this problem in Bayesian inference. Again, episode 78 to hear more thoughts on that. Instead of relying on the division of those two numbers, which now you're zero to zero, so you can't do, I say, hey, the ratio of vanillas to chocolates is some magnitude from zero to infinity, or alternatively, uh, it's a probability between zero and one. And what I'm going to do is instead of assuming, instead of saying, well, I'm going to define definitively the answer, what that ratio is, I am going to create a probability distribution over all the possible values uh, between zero and positive infinity, if I'm talking about the ratio is, uh, over what my belief is, what my prior, that's essentially you're creating a prior, what my prior belief is over that ratio. So for example, I might think, well, you know, two to one, uh two to one vanillas versus one to two vanillas, uh those are equally likely. So in my prior, I'm going to make them equally likely. Um and there are mathematical objects that you can use to to uh to model that. I'm not really going to go into that now. So basically you create a prior and then you update that as more information comes in. And then If you have no data, well, that's fine. Then you're not going to get that weird zero divided by zero error. You're just going to stick with the prior because you have no data in order to update that. Um, And so, for example, in the case if you observe 100 vanillas and zero chocolates, then your probability ratio of vanilla to chocolate is going to skew very high. So it'll skew to very high numbers, you know, up to positive infinity, but you'd never conclude with certainty that it's an infinite ratio. It's just going to be more likely in that very high positive direction, which if you think about it, that's the light, that's the right thing to do. If you take a random sample and all 100 people like vanillas, you're not going to rule out that there's someone out there who likes chocolate, but you're going to say, well, that ratio is probably going to be very high. All right. So that's... Just the point that I wanted to make today about infinite ratios. I feel kind of like the uh, the law has been laid down here, or I don't know. I don't know if I want to put it another way. Maybe shots fired <laughs> is another way. Uh, we'll see how this goes. Um if this gets controversial, maybe I'll have someone on the show to discuss it with me, or maybe more likely someone's going to be like, Max, what the what the heck are you talking about? And then I can kind of explain further on the show. But I think I really like the discussion of the infinite and uh, maybe we'll continue that. All right. So next week, I'm hoping to have a secret panel on the inspiration people take from video games in designing products. So that's going to be interesting. And um, we're a little bit alone now on in terms of guests, but I have a lot of great guests lined up for December and January. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure doing the solo show today. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account at Max Have a great week. Feel the power.